1: Everybody? Hello, hello.
0: We've got a great show for you today. First up, we're going to talk about this article that really hit a nerve for me called Childhood Independence is a Mental Health Issue.
1: It may be Thanksgiving, but are you grateful for the mental health issues you're giving your kids? Then we're going to play a fun Thanksgiving trivia game. And feel free to copy us if your conversation gets awkward during the holidays. And as always, we have our hashtag swag bag.
0: But up next, take it away, small child. Okay i shit! My shits are my mental health is big time struggling. Same, same. So much so I've turned to people and been like, hi, I just can't hear your negativity anymore. I just, I can't do it anymore. I feel like I'm creeping back into where I was during COVID. Except this time I have a therapist, a psychiatrist, Lexapro, and it ain't helping. So that's where I am. Saturday, I mean, I was actively trying to be a joyful person. I was actively trying to be happy and enjoy my restful time and I was fucking miserable. So much so I apologize to Matt. I'm like, Matt, I am trying so hard to not be a miserable bitch right now and it is just not working. I am so sorry. And he's like, I know you are. I know you're working.
1: I did the same thing with Lee. I was like, hi, my social barometer is zero. So I'm going to leave you and just go do this thing. I can't pretend to be social. I can't even pretend with Sebastian.
0: He was acting like such a brat. And I don't know how kids have this extreme extraordinary talent. Maybe it's just mine. I don't know. You can tell me if Luna does this as well. But this extraordinary talent to be as awful and as bratty and as miserable when you really just need them to be cool. Well, because they can tell you're dysregulated. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. My tits are what brings me more joy when I'm in distress than organizing. So I organized our basement again for the probably second or third time this year because it constantly needs to be reorganized. Well you had the flood. We had a flood earlier this year that put everything in disarray and then I have this craft table down there that just becomes this landing spot. Shit table. Yeah I organized and that felt good. It felt like I had control over Mm. something. Yeah. I've also really enjoyed BravoCon was this past weekend. And obviously I did not go, but I've really enjoyed all the BravoCon content and the marathon videos because the New York City marathon was yesterday. All the videos that are on TikTok have made me cry and weep. That's at the level of mental distress
1: I'm at where I'm just like, it's so beautiful when people come together for runners. There's a series from the New York Times called Medical Mysteries. And it's people who have diseases that are so crazy. Basically house. Basically. That's what I'm watching. I'm watching children with inoperable brain tumors, oh. so you can see how bad it is. Well, your feel better content is true crime, and mine is Bravo. My shits are my childhood scarlet fever. So I guess she's a 1910s child. She's Vera Farmiga, and we just never knew. We just never knew.
0: For the listeners, that's a long-standing gag that we love Vera Farmiga because she looks like a haunted doll. She looks like a haunted old doll. Oh. Yeah. Every time you see her, you're like, oh,
1: that's a haunted ass doll from the. Th- store. Oh, that's a haunted ass doll. Why are you so haunted? So yeah, so my kid threw up for the first time in her life at school and at home and everywhere else and has strep throat and scarlet fever. That was the opposite of fun. (laughs) Scarlet fever, like what the fuck? My 2023 bingo card is so many different things I was not expecting. Scarlet fever, is that one of them? Ever since 2020, the bingo
0: card just changed. I'm almost terrified for January of 2024 because January 2020, well, first we started to hear rumbling of COVID. And then Kobe died. And then Ben and (laughs) J-Lo. That was the only highlight. Are you the only person other than Ben and J-Lo who knows that they got together? I think I was like, ooh, I'm hearing that they're talking again. Full circle moment because they're saying they might break up now. They're saying they might be on the way to a divorce, which, duh. You think? She's
1: spicy and he's a white boy that doesn't want to be told what to do. It was never going to work. Hot and heavy and then nothing. That's how it goes. Yep. So yeah, so that's my shits. My tits are, I made my commitment to the arts. Okay, you douche. About a year and a half ago, I said to myself, why live so close to the city when you're not doing any of the things you like to do? And so for the last year and a half, I've been going to concerts and plays. I went and saw a Montclair dance performance the other day, and we have theater tickets again coming up. I'm like, hey, I did go to school for this. This is my passion. Why am I not doing more of it?
0: And nothing is as inspiring as seeing other people doing it. Broadway for me, this is why I'm like, can we go every month and buy tickets to something? It gets the wheels turning. So even though I made fun of you, which I stand by. Yeah, it's right. Just the way I said it was
1: terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've made my financial commitment to the (laughs) arts.
0: However, I totally understand and agree. I've also
1: found this little group of women in Montclair who are kind of hooked into the Montclair arts community. We've committed to sending each other things to do, whether it's my story salon that I did or this dance performance that someone recommended. Between you and me and this group, I'm getting involved in more artistic ventures. Before, when I was a single girl who was a yoga teacher and an actor trying to make a living to live alone in New York City, all of my free time was spent trying to make money. And not being able to enjoy as much as I would like to. Or I was doing the thing instead of watching the thing.
0: You know, I don't know how many of our listeners are in the creative arts in some way. But I feel like you just said the artist experience in like two sentences. Which is you work so hard juggling so much different shit. And you are not even financially capable to reap the benefits of this field that you love and fulfills you. Yeah. When you choose to be an artist in your life, you're not choosing it for the money, you're choosing it for the fulfillment, for what it does to your soul. And oftentimes, we're also those same people who can't afford to enjoy other people's art for fulfillment. It is such a weird catch 22.
1: And I love that my partner, also is an artist and understands when I'm like, I got to go see this thing to fill my soul. Same way as he sometimes says, I know you don't want to go see this musician, but will you come with me? Because I really need to see this to fill my soul up. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Can I add
0: one more tip? Yeah. So when I was going through the basement, one of the things that never actually gets organized, but is part of it is memory stuff. Sebastian's stuff from school or my box of photos, different things like that. So yesterday I sat on the floor and went, Through all these different boxes of memory things that I have just put off and put off. And I found every love note and every card that Matt has written me since the beginning of our relationship. I found the post-it from our first date that he had in his pocket of where we were going. I found a letter he wrote me at our year anniversary after getting married. And in it, and I got very emotional reading it, in it he said, I promise to always support you in whatever it is that you want to do because I believe so much in you. And I was crying. Yeah, that was the most beautiful part of my day yesterday. I can bitch and moan about Matt as much as I want and I stand by that. We're allowed to bitch and moan and love at the same time. Absolutely. However, this guy has written me so many love notes, post-it notes, stupid Stupid shit like, hey boo, I'm at work. There's cold water in the fridge in your cup. Get your jammies on and start Real Housewives. Stupid shit like that. It was really so nice. And I just wanted to publicly say that because I love him. Oh, I love that. My mom told me I need to <laughs> My mom told me. Just wait till you hear this. My mom goes to me because she's here very often for work. Matt and I got into some stupid argument. Not a real argument, just a squabble. He goes to take care of something with Sevy And my mom goes, what would you do? if Sebastian brought home a woman like you? And I said, well, you and I both know she would not work (laughs) in this family because... I'm already here. And you're already here. And you're already here. And she goes, I think you need to speak a little nicer to your husband. And I just went, Oh, and rolled my eyes. And she goes, you know I'm right, don't you? And I said, yes, I do, but I don't know how to do that. I've never seen that in my life. And she goes, I had a young woman to raise. You have a young man to raise who's going to find his partner. And don't you want him to have
1: somebody who talks to him nicely? And I was like, fuck, mom. <laughs> like, goddamn. Damn it. Another thing for me to think about? When I hear the way Luna talks to Lee, I'm like, oh, I guess that's the way I talk to him.
0: Exactly. Sebastian just says to Matt all the time, did you bring me a snack? (laughs) Such a dick. (laughs) (laughs) So this article comes from The Cut. Again, it's called Childhood Independence is a Mental Health
1: issue. New Yorker, do the right thing. Reach out. We support your magazine. We really do all the time. Do the right thing. So
0: the author starts off by talking about how being overwhelmed by something kid related is the number one unifying thing that all parents have in America. So whether it's sports schedules, homework, phone stuff, it's a way of bonding and it's another way of what they called performing conscientiousness. Okay. I'm going to preface all of this by saying I don't know that I necessarily agree with this article, but I do find it very interesting. So we'll get into opinions later. It says, Wow, being a parent sure is demanding because I work hard at it. So to waltz into a parent social situation in America and act like parenting isn't hard is to immediately make yourself an asshole. And I think we can agree on that, correct? Yeah. If you walked into your mommy group and were like, I love being a mom. Um, It's the easiest thing I've ever done. It would be the biggest eye roll for me.
1: We talk about it all the time, the glossification of Instagram, that that's not how life is. Which this gets into, yeah. While parenting is definitely hard, acting
0: like parenting is hard is an important part of what it means to belong to the social world of American parents. It can't possibly be an exaggeration to say that American parents are the most demonstratively conscientious parents in the world. The author says they specify demonstratively demonstrative because there are many forms of conscientiousness, many of which are private, more at the level of acts of service, like nightly offering of cut fruit or steady focus on a child's academic achievement. What they're talking about is conscientiousness as a public that expands outside the home and ultimately becomes legible at the level of public policy. So it's the kind of conscientiousness that has made parents hesitant about letting their kids walk or bike around the neighborhoods alone, not necessarily because of traffic, but for fear of the intervention of other hypervigilant parents.
1: I, for one, don't agree with that. You as well? No, it also just reminded me of the restaurant that charged a woman a rude kid $50 fee for their kids being jerks at a restaurant. You can't do that. You can't. So
0: hyper hypervigilance has become a calling card of American parents. And again, it's a nonpartisan safe zone. It transcends race and class. And the funny thing is, in private, many of us don't identify with hypervigilance. We find it excessive. We roll our eyes at it. It's the stuff of other parents, not us. But in public, we play by the rules of hypervigilance because we don't want to risk being perceived as careless parents. True. So the safe space of hypervigilance turns out to be very consequential for our children. What if by allowing our fear of being shamed to determine how we parent in public, we are inadvertently contributing to a serious, decades-long, slow-moving public health crisis. There's a new article in the Journal of Pediatrics by three different doctors, psychologists, that makes a compelling argument for how parents' hypervigilance is contributing to the oft-discussed mental health crisis in children and teenagers.
1: Well, I mean, I've noticed that kids can't do anything for themselves these days. And we've talked about it extensively on the show. And although I started the show with saying how much—
0: I love Matt. One of the things that he and I are very much struggling with in our relationship right now is that I'm very much trying to get Sebastian to be far more independent, and Matt still tends to coddle Sebastian in things I think he is too old to be coddled in. What if the mental health crisis in children is partially a consequence of a crisis of confidence among parents? This is the part I don't personally agree with. There are several key ways parental intervention in children's autonomy is likely. Harming children's emotional well being. The author of the study in the Journal of Pediatrics claims that the first half of the 20th century is considered the golden age of unstructured play. Children's play wasn't just unstructured, it was unsupervised and tended to happen outside. The data convincingly shows that where kids have more independent mobility from ages as young as five, Their health improves. Our kids need to be able to move through their communities independently.
1: Yeah, but the communities are more dangerous. This is where I take issue with things as well. It's not like the Japanese TV show where the kids are crossing the streets by themselves. Or in like Norway or Sweden where they leave babies sleeping in their strollers outside while they're
0: in a bar. I would not trust that my baby would still be there. One of the article's most fascinating sections is about what children do and don't consider play. There's recreation and family time, but play is specific. It's ideally initiated by kids rather than adults and doesn't include adult supervision or participation. This is the mindfuck. Parent-guided trips to the park are suboptimal from the point of view of play. I
1: mean, come on.
0: A study from Switzerland indicates that kids who are able to play outside unsupervised have more friends and are more active than kids whose outdoor playtime involves trips to the park with an adult.
1: I'm sure, but there's so many ways that you can't help that. If you're a city kid. You're screwed. Until you get to be a certain age, your parents have to take you somewhere.
0: Yes. If you have the Citizen app, now the Citizen app tells you where registered sex offenders live. I live in the city. I have one three blocks away, and you want me to have my kid walk around the Block by himself—it's a bit much. So, what compels parents to inhibit their children's independence, and how can we address those factors? Traffic is an easy explanation and a challenging problem to address. But what about our own attitudes? Insecurity is part of what makes it hard to let our kids take risks in an environment where the most outspoken parents are the most vigilant.
1: Well, I feel like it's insecurity for my own safety and my kids. One hundred percent. I don't feel as safe as I used to either. Insecurity isn't in my parenting. It's just that in this time, I'm not feeling secure about my. It's not even just in your parenting. It's also not
0: in what are other parents going to think. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, and I'm sure there are people who do do this, but I know for a fact when I make a decision for what is Sebastian's best interest, I'm not thinking about what other parents are going to think. No. And I don't know a lot of other parents who are. You know what else makes us like this? Social media! It always
1: comes back to that.
0: Always. Algorithms surface the loudest, most engaging voices, and those voices are usually the ones raising the alarm. We know this is true for politics, and it's also true for parenting, which we can confirm. I mean, we're in the parenting space. We had a lot of these things on our algorithm. How about the fact that every single thing is somehow brought back to child pornography in every single way? Is everything going back to child pornography? I just feel like that's constantly on my algorithms on Instagram and TikTok. The flame wars on Facebook mom groups over safety are the stuff of internet legend at this point.
1: I'm a longtime member of Park Slope Moms. They're like, Like, this nanny was doing this. Is this your child? Because this nanny was smoking a cigarette and talking on the phone while strolling your child. They take pictures.
0: They'll be like, anybody know this nanny and this dog? She left your child for two minutes to go
1: make a phone call. Maybe that babysitter just got fucked. And that's why she needed the cigarette. While she was watching your kid. I mean, who's to judge? Yeah, because that's okay. As a result, there's often very little
0: talk of nuanced approaches to giving children independence because everyone knows that this kind of topic will reap the whirlwind in the replies. It's basically impossible to have a good faith conversation about children and safety in an algorithmic space. When these conversations do occur, they happen in private or out of sight. Our own reluctance... To allow our children independence should be considered as serious a problem as declining mental health in young people because they are linked. The doctors include an important reminder. Children are predisposed to learn. They can learn safety rules and create rules of their own. Kids who walk around their neighborhoods alone discover things that adults would never notice. They don't have to go far to feel independent. The end of the block, out of sight of a parent, can feel like a world away. A couple of months into our long COVID lockdown, I started letting my young son takes short walks alone. He was six. One day he came home and he said he came across a dead pigeon. It was the happiest I'd seen him in months and he still talks about it.
1: I feel like this is what cousins and best friends kids are for. I agree. When I go to Valerie's house and she has the older boys, I will let Luna go out with the older boys across the street or walk ahead of me or out in the backyard because I trust that those older boys have a little bit more wherewithal. If we were to go out somewhere, I would allow Sebby and Luna to wander together a little bit. Now again, within boundaries, bit. within boundaries, my mom was a very overprotective mom. But when we hung out with our cousins, the grownups hung out by themselves and the cousins yep. ranged a little bit, whether it was just out in the backyard for lots of hours by ourselves or around the block on our bicycles, whatever it was. I remember it feeling like the cousins were being unwatched. We weren't being watched, but we weren't not being watched either. But we were able to have our own private thing going on. And and so that's what I feel cousins and best friends kids are for and to a certain extent I have a little neighborhood group here of kids where there's two older girls that sometimes will take a walk with Luna by themselves and I'm okay with that that kind of thing more than that I really I'm not okay with although I do try to foster because Luna wants me to baby her and I do try to foster independence like you know how to turn on your light if it's dark turn on the light don't be a baby about it
0: yeah I mean I think that was the best answer in my opinion was that's what cousin- cousins or friends, kids, or four. Or if you have siblings. Yeah, absolutely. We both grew up as only children. And for me, all of my safety and independence, I don't think I was allowed to really go ride my bike out of my mom's sight. Also, I lived in Miami in the 90s where kids got taken all the fucking time. But it was probably not till I was like eight or nine that my mom would let me ride my bike around with the neighbor kids. And that was it. That's the nice thing about when we hang out with Danny and James and our other friends bit in Massa that their kids are teen, preteen age. I mean, they get a little tired of hanging out with the little kids, but I'm okay with them going and gallivanting with the older kids because I know the older kids kind of
1: have their back in a less supervised way. This coming up weekend, our friends that used to live on the second floor with us at our old apartment, they moved to New Jersey from Brooklyn oh, recently and they have a big old house. We used to get a little bit tipsy and play board games with them when we lived on the second floor. And so they're like, do you want to come over for dinner Friday night and see sleep over so that we can drink and play board games. They have two girls and we have girls. We're not really going to be watching what they do. They'll be in the same house with us, obviously. But we're going to parent like we parented in the 80s, which is the kids are in the basement and the parents are upstairs and they'll figure it out. And if they need us, we're here. I believe that the happy middle between complete letting
0: your kid walk around the block alone at five and this hypervigilance that the author is talking about that they believe is due to other parents, which I'm sure is for some, but it is certainly not for me. Well, not that we're conscious of at least. Right, is this kind of unsupervised group play. And this is why I think having your adult friends with kids, although I'm not looking to make new mom friends, I love that my friends are also in this space in their life because it allows this. It allows our kids to kind of have that independence that we had a little
1: bit. I mean, my kid does crazy shit in front
0: of me. I guess the point of this article that we're reading to you guys is just kind of food for thought, planting a seed. We don't know that we fully necessarily agree, but it's an
1: interesting perspective. Trying to look to give our kids places to be independent. I think that's where I'll go first. Agreed. All right, this is a Thanksgiving trivia game. Here we go. How long was the first Thanksgiving celebration? Like the
0: pilgrims? Yeah.
1: Two days. Three days. Oh, so close. Okay. What meats were served at the first Thanksgiving celebration? Turkey. Smallpox. (laughs) Smallpox blankets. Venison, swan, duck, and goose.
0: Venison makes a
1: lot of sense. Okay, so where the
0: fuck did we get turkey from?
1: Turkey's not even good. No. What seafood was served? Oyster clams and cockles. Kind of. Lobster, oysters, fish, and probably some eel. Okay. Who was the first president to pardon a turkey? Hmm.
0: I'm going to go with my guy, FDR. JFK. <laughs> you know, the saddest thing is, I really don't know very much about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I know he was my grandmother's favorite president. And he was in a wheelchair.
1: And he wore a blanket over his lap. <laughs> Which president made turkey pardoning an annual event? Uh, the one after, who was the first one? JFK. No, George H.W. Bush. Oh, really? Yeah. On average, how many calories are consumed per person at Thanksgiving? 3,000. 4,500. Okay. How much did the world's most expensive Thanksgiving dinner on record cost? Ooh. 10 million. 150,000 at New York City's Old Homestead Steakhouse. Was that per person? It didn't say. When was the first Thanksgiving football game? Mmm. 1932. No, 1876. I believe that was Princeton and Rutgers, I think. I have not gotten one right. When was the first Thanksgiving NFL game? 1962. 1920. How many women were at the very first Thanksgiving celebration? As many as it took to cook the dinner. Five.
0: I felt like you were setting me up for a light bulb joke or something. Like, how many women does it take to screw in a light bulb?
1: Zero. The meal was terrible. Which president refused... To celebrate Thanksgiving as a national holiday. I'm just going to guess FDR again. (laughs) Thomas Jefferson. Why? I don't know. Which president said that there was going to be declared two Thanksgivings in one year? FDR. James Madison. I'm not good at my presidential trivia or Thanksgiving. Which president officially made Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday of every November? FDR. D-fucking-R. That's
0: right! <laughs> yes, I <laughs> yeah, got one. I got one right.
1: Consistency. See what it does? Which president received a live raccoon as a Thanksgiving present? FDR. Calvin <laughs> Coolidge, that crazy guy. Who gets a Thanksgiving present of a raccoon? Was it just the pelt or the meat, too? It was a live raccoon.
0: Who the f- fuck wants a live raccoon? I mean, I kind of want a live raccoon.
1: Oh, they're terrible creatures. They're mean. Which Native American tribe celebrated the first Thanksgiving with the pilgrims? Honestly, I have no idea. The Wampanoag. I was never going to get that. How many turkeys are prepared for Thanksgiving every year in America? Oh my God. Two million? 46 million. That was so off. That's turkey genocide. <laughs> that is turkey genocide. How many Americans prefer Thanksgiving leftovers to Thanksgiving dinner? Most. 80%. I don't like Thanksgiving dinner. I think I say this every year. It's never that great. Black Friday is mm. the biggest day of the year for what trade profession? sales plumbers probably because all that shitting oh. that happened in the toilet after thanksgiving oh yeah that makes sense okay wow that's funny sarah joseph hale who campaigned for thanksgiving to become a national holiday wrote what famous song it's a real banger uh is it a thanksgiving song no is it the star-spangled banner
0: mary had a little lamb little lamb little lamb i knew it had to be some old ass song and not an actual banger what
1: year what year Did Adam Sandler release the Thanksgiving song? 1994? Too close. You do know you're Adam Sandler. I do. That's one thing you'll never get me on. What meat is the most popular alternative to turkey on Thanksgiving? Ham. Yes. Rum ham. Statistically, what is Americans' favorite Thanksgiving side dish? mashed potatoes. Stuffing. I hate stuffing.
0: Oh, I love stuffing. I gained my freshman 20 because I would buy stovetop packets and just eat a packet of stovetop. Oh, I love it. I love it.
1: There you have it, friends. If you don't know what to talk to your family about, you can Google Thanksgiving trivia like I did. And also just tell everyone FDR is responsible for everything good. Hashtag
0: swag bag. Our joint hashtag swag bag this week is let's Bake Bread. It is a book, and it is written by Bonnie O'Hara, author of Bread Baking for Beginners. So it's a whole family cookbook on how to make different bread-type things with your kids. I have a kid who's very into baking. I personally detest baking because it's so precise. It's not like cooking where you can measure with your heart. Measure with your heart. I think this is a really great book, not only for your kids who are interested, but if you're someone like me that really is a beginner to Making any kind of bread. I've baked cookies and I've baked cakes and some pies. That's about it. That's the extent of my knowing how to bake. This is a great way to introduce your kids into that. If you're homesteading, I can't imagine many of our listeners are homesteaders or homeschoolers, but this is probably a really good book to include in those things because you want your kids to know how to do basic principles. It also brings me back to a time on Martha Stewart. It was during the recession, and Martha had on, I think think it was like the head of gold medal flour. Okay. Yeah. I remember him saying that the most incredible thing is the economy can go to shit. Obviously he didn't use shit. This was network television. He's like, but at the end of the day, flour is a great business to be in because people always need flour. And when bread gets too expensive, they can make their own. Look at The sourdough craze of COVID. Exactly. And there is a sourdough recipe in here. I love a sourdough. Also, The Woman in Me, I think, is a book that will always be a hashtag swag bag pick. God, I can't wait. I mean, by the time you read it, you will have heard everything in the book anyway.
1: I know, but I still want to read it. And it's also written. Like a kindergartner. I know. I actually get to start it soon because one of my classes is over. You'll be done in like two days. Great. Love that for me. It's not the feel-good story of the year, that's for sure. I mean, I know how it ends. Well, she's alive, so that's good. And dancing with knives. God bless. All right, guys, have a great day. Love you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bye.